0: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady, this week they got Brady. We're doing it, we're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward yeah. from this
1: point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. Alright, so, we're going team by team. I would be very careful tonight, slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this?
0: I yeah, like football, like football season and all the things that go with it.
1: Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. It's quarterback day today. The Netflix show uh, broke cover yesterday on Wednesday. We uh, took a look at it yesterday, you know, through to to be able to talk all about it today. Trev, how much did you watch of this show? You watched the first couple of episodes, right?
0: I got two episodes in because that was the predetermined agreement. (laughs) You, as the overachiever that you are. Clearly could not get enough of Kirk Cousins, so you just continued after those two episodes. I
1: mean, some would say overachiever. Some would say this is simply an illustration of how little I have going on in my life that I could dedicate basically most of a day to watching this quarterback show from start to finish yesterday. But yeah, I, I ended up starting off, planned to watch just a couple of episodes. And they suck you in. The, the way Netflix works, right, where it ends one episode and then the little bar starts creeping across like three seconds till the next one starts. And before you know it, you've, you're watching the whole damn show. So, yeah, I ended up – I watched the whole thing. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I, there, there it is. I, I have a problem. I, I watched the whole quarterback show. So that's where we are today. So, look. There's going to be some spoilers here but frankly it's not like the plot was a secret anyway right we know what happens we know the Vikings end up losing at the end of the season the uh the Chiefs don't and Marcus Mariota doesn't start at the end of the year like he's not a starting quarterback anymore so we know all of this it's not like we're breaking any uh plot holes that that nobody saw coming um but anyway before we get into the whole thing What's on your family summer bucket list? Maybe some traveling or going swimming or cookouts in the backyard. Something that should be on every parent's bucket list is protecting their children through every season of life no matter what. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick and easy to protect your family with a term life insurance policy so you can focus on fun. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com <clears throat> Excuse me, slash PFFNFL. That's meatfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Trev, let's get straight into it. So for anyone that hasn't seen this or seen any of this yet, the whole concept of this show is we have three quarterbacks: We've got Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota, and we're kind of following them through the season a little bit. There's a little sort of intro. This is from the brainchild, by the way, of Peyton Manning, which is... Peyton does himself a little intro up front. He's sort of the first scene of the entire show is Peyton Manning articulating, you know, how difficult it is to play quarterback. And like one overarching thought is (laughs) Peyton Manning was everywhere when he was one of the best players in the NFL, right? He was on every second commercial that was on TV. And then when he retired, he kind of faded away, did his own thing. And now seems to be coming back with the express intent of taking over the entire media landscape of the world.
0: No, I completely agree with you there. I mean, obviously, like, I don't know if he planned on that, right? Peyton, just from (laughs) knowing, I've got some good friends who are in the Denver, Colorado area. And, like, Peyton's got his hands in a couple of different things. Like, I think he's got his own bourbon that he makes, you know, and there are things that he does around the community and everything. So he was obviously dipping his toe in the water of getting involved in the community and getting back out in the media. But I think all of this really took off with the Manning cast stuff, right? right? Because you go back to the very first Manning cast, cast episode, and it's, from a production standpoint, like a train wreck. I mean, like, these <laughs> dudes have no idea how to be on camera. They have no idea how to throw to brakes. They have no idea how to come back from commercial. They're in the middle of thoughts, and you could tell the producer is in their ear screaming, you have two <laughs> seconds and your <laughs> mic will cut off. Like, so I just, it was, it was like, they were it was like him and Eli were doing that man and cast thing for fun and people loved them so much because of course these are two very famous brothers but also because these guys are two quarterbacks and I think the premise of the show and how it started and how Peyton become became the executive director of it is because we can't get enough quarterback access when it comes to quarterbacks how they live their life, how they prepare, what's going on in their head. Just seeing different viewpoints of one of the most complex positions of any sport at the very highest level is something that's always going to intrigue people. So you're right. Peyton makes a cameo at the very beginning of it. He kind of narrates some of it going into the beginning storyline. And um, Omaha Productions, his production Mm agency or his production company is the one who helps put this on along with Netflix. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think Peyton's going away anytime soon. I think that he realizes the media loves him. So we're going to get more of this, which is fine by me because it creates some great content.
1: Well, he was always the great um, prize in terms of like everyone thought he would be the next Tony Romo or the the Tony Romo, like the guy that would go into the booth and become, you know, the next great announcer. And he was going to get 25 million a year to do that or whatever. And never really seemed to show any interest in that. But I think that's carried over. Like, Peyton Manning has always been a personality. Like, there was a reason he was in every second commercial. It's because he was funny. Like, Peyton Manning is inherently, naturally funny. And actually, the fact that the Manning cast is like a production shit show actually is what makes it so compelling. Like some of the funniest things that right. come from the Manning cast are like complete and total screw-ups when it comes to the the production and stuff. Like one of my favorite clips is where they is Eli's like, "Oh, we're going to go to Peyton Manning to break down this sh- this this play." And Peyton's like, "I can't hear shit." And Manning's like, "Oh, never mind. Here we go." <laughs> like just hilarious.
0: And I think that you're right. That's what th- that's why I kind of brought it up in that light where I don't know if they thought this was going to work. Like I thought, I think that they just were doing this for fun. Maybe, the, maybe their agent said, "Hey, ESPN and Monday Night Football are going to pay you a lot of money yeah. just to sit there and talk football." And him and Eli probably went, "Okay." Well, I think they With no sort of broadcast direction experience, and then we love them so much, yeah, because they're so charismatically themselves. But also, it's work. like it's all and the now. Benefits. I think because of that. Peyton is like, oh, okay. I'm going to do more of this because now he's more comfortable. It's like it's
1: all the benefits of that, you know, broadcast gig without the fact without needing to do it, you know, every single week of the year. Like they get half the season off or Mm -hmm. whatever. Like it's it's all the benefits of that. They don't need to go and do all the pre prep stuff because the whole thing is supposed to be off the cuff. Like it's all the benefits of that without any of the drawbacks. So anyway, without getting lost down that rabbit hole too long. What were your initial thoughts of this quarterback uh, series, documentary, whatever you are going to call it?
0: I mean, I, so I'm only two episodes in. Mm-hmm. So I know inevitably you're going to spoil some things for me <laughs> because you're just going to bleed over in those extra episodes. But that's fine. I, I, I loved it. It's, it's great. Anytime you get this type of access... This is why people love Hard Knocks, right? This is why people uh, love all the the behind-the-scenes videos that it seems like a lot of individual teams put out now when it comes to training camp and things like that. We love the Path to the Draft series that some teams do where you get this unprecedented access. And anytime you get a peel back from the curtain of what we see on national TV for those three, four hours every single Sunday like it just we can't get enough of that and I'm one of those people that I just can't get enough of it man I think that there is something to like letting the players have their privacy and their private life but certainly when you sign up to do something like this and you're cool with it I love seeing this part of it because these guys you know we talk about this stuff all the time like the mentality that you have to have to be top of the food chain and of course mahomes is in this so that makes it right extra alluring because you have the guy who is not only at the pro level and made it as a pro quarterback you have the number one quarterback the guy who's unquestioned the best in the nfl right now that you get to look at but even guys like cousins guys like mariota like watching how they balance family life and yet their obsession with being the best and their mentality when it comes to accomplishments versus failures, which was one of my favorite themes of the show. Like, it's just cool. It's, it's really cool to get to see somebody live a life that you and I wake up and we think about football and we talk about football every single day, but we're not in the NFL playing it ourselves. It's really cool when you get to hear this kind of access and this kind of i would say human side of playing the sport that we just don't really get anywhere else so i really i'm two episodes in but I, I absolutely love it so far
1: no i agree i i think anytime you get to peel back the curtain a little bit it's fascinating like this is what we do we're obviously going to like this stuff i had a couple of sort of high level thoughts of the thing itself um like it's obviously really well put together you've seen some of the stuff before in terms of like, they take snippets of press conferences of, you know, media hits, mm. you know, like um, whether it's like Cowherd or whether it's uh, Dan Patrick or whatever, like there's bits and pieces that you've seen before, but they blend it all but together did, well, really well.
0: And they, you know, but, but did you notice? Cause I noticed this. When they were showing footage that they know people have seen before they often tried to find different camera angles of it like for example they like they go over the you like that clip from kirk cousins that they play as a theme on one of the episodes for him but the clip of him saying you like that isn't the one that you immediately think of where he's it's like to the side and he's pointing to the camera that's the one that you see the most The camera angle they actually used is a different one of a person who's further down the hallway. And so it's like, I thought they did a beautiful job of when they had to show us moments that we've seen before, they tried their best to say, okay, what local news companies what local news stations can we reach out to and say, do you have footage of this? Can you give us this alternate angle that people may just not have seen before? Because it makes you feel like it's new. But I didn't mean to cut you off, but I thought that was something that I that I remembered specifically that I loved about the production value
1: of it. No, it's, it's a good point. Like, it, it is really well put together. I, I felt overall, and this might not come across yet if you're only two episodes in, but it felt generally to me like it started off being one thing and kind of morphed into something else as the season went on. Like it felt like it began as we're going to follow these three guys, you know, and chronologically go through their season a lot like hard knocks, right? Basically follow the hard knocks recipe Mm -hmm. of just chronologically start to finish, except instead of training camp, it's going to be the full season. And then I think they found themselves going in a different direction um, over the course of the season. And it's almost like they never, to me, it's, it, it, it actually needed to become a, a third thing that they never quite pulled together. It's sort of, we start off in this one direction, and then we pivot halfway through the year. And then actually, when you look at this thing in a totality, it needed to be a more sort of higher-level concept piece uh, looking at you know the lives of these quarterbacks as opposed to the season as a whole. Because in particular... Mm. Like, Marcus Mariota felt like he didn't have a purpose in the show. Like, it was 20 minutes in the first episode before you even saw the guy. And then for the first two episodes, it's like you go through the, there's an interesting bit on Mahomes, an interesting bit on on Cousins. And then we cut back to Marcus Mariota having a turnover. And it's like, dude, cut the guy. Like, why are we doing this to him? We know he's getting benched at some point. We don't need to relive every mistake he made in
0: the season. I think they did do a good job. And I don't i don't know if you know the answer to this because I don't know if it's public. Did they only follow these three guys around or did they follow like 10 guys around and then they picked which three? Because it, it seems very hard for me to believe that they only picked Mahomes, Cousins, and Mariota and all three of them, Happen to have kind of like tiered story endings that would make for a really good show. So I, I, I wonder if they followed around a lot of these guys and the Mariota stuff is shot in a different light, of course, because they're shooting it in a way where he... Does, he's not the starting quarterback at the end of the season, right? I mean, like they showed the Desma Ritter stuff at the very beginning with Ritter getting drafted. They talked to Mariota about free agency, you know, even back in August, clearly when they were filming this uh, a year ago. So I just wonder if they, they would have done, they yeah. probably did that on purpose. And it feels very lucky for them to have gotten that if they weren't filming multiple people.
1: I don't know the answer to that question, but the way the Mariota story unfolds in the show, I would be, I'd be surprised if, um, if they had more options because it felt like, it felt like Mariota season ended. They covered the bit, the sort of drama about, remember when they initially benched him and then he just went AWOL and the media yes. story was like, yes. Hey, Marcus Mariota just, he's, Handling this like a child, he's gone AWOL. We don't know when he's coming back. If he's coming back, like he just bailed on the team, went to get his knee surgery. Like they kind of covered that, and it looks a lot like Mariota kind of got hosed by the way that worked. But and then he but he just kind of disappears from the show. Like he barely features in the last several episodes. And it's like, okay, I understand that like unlike these other guys, he's been benched and there's less sort of ready material and You know, we're focusing at the same time on Mahomes and a playoff run and his ankle and all these kinds of things. But, like, you know, it sort of feels like it felt very badly weighted in terms of we start off with these three stories. And by the tail end of this show, it's not like that at all. Like, we've basically sacked off one of these stories completely. Even Cousins is sort of in the... You know, in the periphery of this thing, because we're now focusing solely on Mahomes and his playoff run, and his ankle and all those kinds of things. So that's kind of what I mean by when you got to the end of it, you felt like it was a very different show than it started off being where we're like tracking these three guys, you know, broadly, equally, like theoretically. And it, you, you feel like that's going to be the narrative for each one. By the end of it, it's like this is still a really interesting uh, show, but it's a very different show than the one we started off watching.
0: hmm Hmm. no i'm I'm interested to keep watching it to kind of figure out what you're talking about one of the themes that i did want to uh talk about today and bring up with you is it's not like a theme that i just noticed and it was like oh did you notice the same thing because i know you had to have noticed the same thing because especially the way the first episode ends i think it's the first episode this is what they want you to remember going into the second episode and that was these guys think about failure yeah so much like to the point where they remember their failures more than their accomplishments and this is coming from patrick holmes was he he definitely had a voice in this you know he i'm not saying that he's brushing over the afc championship wins and the super bowl wins and those things like that but like He even says, the stuff that keeps me up at night is the missed throws for the open touchdown. They could have won the... There were were a bunch of clips where... Oh, what game was it? It might have been that Oakland... It might have been the Raiders game. I said Oakland, sorry. It might have been that Raiders game where he misses that McKinnon throw, right? And he's beating himself up over it because if he would have completed that little McKinnon throw to the flat, McKinnon would have just walked in and had a touchdown. And... They win that game, and at the end of the game, whichever game it was, Mahomes there's a clip of Mahome's talking with people after the game, and he's like, yeah, but i I mean, I should have had that throw. I should have had it. It's like, dude, you won the game, like y'all, like you don't even need to think about that anymore." And yet these guys, and this is what's a, such a fantastic peel behind the curtain, they are so motivated and I will even say haunted by like the throws they didn't complete not to say that it totally overshadows the accomplishments that they've had in the league I think these guys recognize that and they take pride in that but it's it's even more than I thought that it would be watching these guys talk about the little failures that they've had that I mean could have meant the world obviously we know it's a game of inches and everything Kirk Cousins had one of those passes as well where it shows it where he overthrows KJ Osborne wide open and it could have been a touchdown for him but it's like maybe Netflix was just doing that on purpose and manipulating it a little bit to create a storyline but the way that it came off is that these guys just are haunted by some of their failures and that weight I felt like that almost fear of failure as a motivational part of greatness was a bigger piece of the pie than I even thought that it was going to be going into it and watching it.
1: Yeah, they they showed that really well. And what I thought was most impressive about highlighting it is the places they showed it were both from winning games, right? Like you mentioned the the overthrow uh, to Jared McKinnon in the flat, that one to Kirk Cousins. Like, in a winning performance after the game, Kirk Cousins is still bugged by that miss to K.J. Osborne and is talking about Mm. it. And it reminded me a lot of... um, You ever see the movie Rounders? You know, the kind of opening monologue that Matt Damon is doing. And I think it's the opening. Maybe it's later where he's there's another kind of monologue he's got somewhere along. But he basically says something along the lines of, you know, strange as it seems most players don't really remember their best hands, their their uh, greatest moments, but they can remember with startling accuracy the, the bad beats they have down the years. And I, think, yep. I don't think this is a quarterback-specific thing or like a, a driven athlete-specific thing. I think this is a weird look at human nature. For some reason, the misses, the failures, the screw-ups stick with you way more and way more intensely than the wins do. So, and I was thinking about this with that first episode, in particular for a guy like Mahomes. Like, failing in the Super Bowl is going to drive that guy harder. Like, it, it's worth, like, almost three rings. You know what I mean? Like, the, the one that you right. lost, the one that you right. let get away, is worth three of the ones that you won. Like, you, it's going to motivate you to get back way more than... Winning the first one did, or winning the second one did. It's the fact that you didn't get that other one that's going to keep grinding at you. And I, I like, I wrote down on my notes that basically articulated what we just talked about. But then, like, why are we like that? And by we, I mean humanity, like as a species. Why do we focus on it, the bad thing?
0: It is so. It's fascinating. I um, I just got finished reading a book. Um, it's a pretty popular book. It's called Never Split the P- Difference. Chris Voss wrote it. Yeah. It's all about like negotiations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that book, there's a part where he talks about a negotiation tool for you is to understand that people have a, have a true fear of negative consequence that does not equal the same amount of joy or allurement that you would get from accomplishing something. He's like, let's say that like everything's even. If you present a situation to somebody where not signing a certain deal would bring you down, let's just use round numbers and say two points of whatever expectation is, but signing a certain deal would get you 10 points higher. You will focus so much more on the two points that you might lose. That will be such a more motivating factor into the decision that you make and how you could be manipulated within a negotiation or conversation, because naturally people focus so much on what they're about to lose how they might fail in a certain situation rather than what it could be at the very top and it, it it's truly just such a fascinating part about the human brain and you we see it again here with quarterbacks at the professional level someone Patrick Mahomes is so unbelievably accomplished already in his career and You know, I'm sure we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes trash talking a little bit like Mahomes trash talking is kind of his way of conjuring that confidence, knowing that he's backed it up before. And so I'm not saying that that part of recognizing his accomplishments don't exist in his life. But man, like you said, it's almost like that Super Bowl. I, I think there's a good chance that Patrick Mahomes could win multiple more Super Bowls before he hangs it up and he is done. That Super Bowl that he lost to Tampa is is he is going it feels like he is just going to remember that almost more than the other memories of them actually winning it because of that. That that process in his brain that all of us of humans seem to have where the weight of failure and the weight of what could have been is so heavy even compared to the mountaintops that some of these guys have experienced. And that was that was a fascinating theme to me over these first couple of episodes.
1: Yeah, it really was. And then the, <clears throat> the other area <clears throat> and where I think the show kind of missed the trick is... The, the reason that I thought Mariota felt almost like a distraction is I think the most interesting thing about the show to me was the contrast between Kirk Cousins and Patrick Mahomes because obviously Mahomes is now the pinnacle. He's the the best quarterback in the NFL, the number one guy. He's the person that everybody is striving to be or to beat. And, you know, there's an interesting bit later in the show where you sort of peek into the rivalry between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and how Burrow's kind of right there in terms of being able to to go toe-to-toe as a rivalry. But guys like Kirk Cousins, you know, clearly aren't at that level. And yet the show does a really good job of showing, number one, how good Kirk Cousins is as a quarterback. Like, we, we tend to kind of focus on this, again, on the negative side of – the listing the reasons that Kirk Cousins isn't Patrick Mahomes, right? But when you sort of go and look behind the curtain and, and even just look at his overall numbers and, and all those kinds of things, Kirk Cousins is an incredibly good quarterback. He's just not Patrick Mahomes. So seeing the different ways that that is true are is really interesting, but also seeing the number of ways that Kirk Cousins tries to become the best quarterback that he can become. Like, On the one hand, I I came away from this entire show incredibly fascinated by Kirk Cousins, the person, because on the one hand, he's like a walking sheet of beige, you know, paint like he's just nothing. He's like the first show we get we get into this, like the fact that he's a meme, right? His he wears this like what turned out to be a Patagonia uh, plaid shirt after the thing and it's like right. you look like anybody's right. dad that's just walked out there and then they show his
0: closet is, which literally is, looks like my dad's closet to him because right he doesn't have any because his wife he doesn't, he dresses doesn't have it. any fashion opinions at all whatsoever
1: yes but his closet there on screen literally looks like my dad's closet it's like any any american dad's closet of just random plaid shirts that he shows up but yeah the fascinating thing about that was he literally says I deliberately choose not to have fashion opinions because that's like a percentage of my brain's runtime that is not going towards football. So, I abdicate yeah. that responsibility to my wife. She dresses me so I can focus on being a better quarterback. Like that is how singularly demented this guy is at trying to be the literally the best quarterback that he can be and yet doing that takes him to being or whatever of Mahomes like it's this fascinating world of there might be no quarterback in the NFL squeezing as much out of their talent as Kirk Cousins is when you look at what he is doing on a weekly basis to try and be the best guy he can be and it's still not even close to being enough to get you to where Mahomes is just by being Mahomes.
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, going back to the Last Dance documentary that uh, Netflix did with the uh, Bulls dynasty, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of people were so, a lot of people love that documentary so much because, again, it was a very close view of what it takes to be great at these sports. And I think we, we, we can't get enough of hearing those stories, right? Kirk Cousins says... I cannot care about fashion at all whatsoever because that is part of my brain that I need to be devoting to the game of football. I don't remember this exact quote, but I remember hearing it. I don't remember. I, I think it was like last year. Sean McVeigh was asked about something. I don't even something not football related. And McVeigh was basically like. I don't know how to do anything else in life. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do very simple things. Not that he, not that you're saying like he's an idiot, but he's like, my entire life, my entire brain power has been devoted to being the best football coach that I could possibly be over the last whatever it is, fifteen years. And he's like, there are simple things, simple tasks where like I, I don't know how to do it. I've never learned how to do it because my mind has just. I've been football at all times. And this obsession over excellence and when you actually maybe look deeper, including this show, maybe it is simply an obsession to not just be the best, but to strive to be the best and not fail is just a crazy level that I love getting to uh, to hear about with these guys, especially the ones that, like you said, are at the very top, are close, and then other ones whose journey has kind of been all over the place. And
1: we've kind of known bits and pieces about this in the past. Um, you know, the when we were talking about the S2 cognition scores a lot in the draft process, uh, Kirk Cousins apparently mm-hmm. <clears throat> sought out those S2 cognition guys and, like, volunteered to take that test to – essentially self-scout his own brain, you know, figure out where am I on this spectrum? What could I be working on? Like, how could I improve based off this information within this S2 test? And you see like a bunch of this stuff show up in this show. Um, Some of it early on, but some of it you'll get to later in, in subsequent episodes. Like the guy has what they, what he refers to as a body work person who appeared to be doing a lot of the things that a chiropractor does, but... He specifically referred to this person as a bodywork person who, as far as I could tell, shows up to Kirk Cousins' gaff every week the day before the game, I think, and starts, like, cranking on Cousins. Like, you know, cracking backs and, like, wrenching knees around and stuff. My initial sure. thought looking at that was, like, number one, do the Vikings know that? And are they cool with that? Because <laughs> that, that seems like some pretty <laughs> aggressive body manipulation for a dude that's about to be playing, you know— on sunday night football in like 24 hours time I, I i was a little bit concerned about that as a you know from a a team perspective but okay but then he also has Have you this, been to a
0: chiropractor or did they freak you out i've little?
1: never been to a chiropractor uh and i've never looked into it too hard to be honest but are they not still very much like quackery as opposed to real medical thing
0: no, 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 no. I definitely wouldn't say that. I've been to a chiropractor many times and like I've got lower back issues. So it always really there's helps. There's no like, like regulation with or my anything, lower
1: right? Back. Like there's no. Would you say? There's no like you don't have to go to medical school or anything to be a
0: chiropractor, right? I mean, I I believe you do. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that's I've never, see, I've never gone to see a chiropractor that's been like at the basement in his house, you know, just doing it because I mean, he watched a couple of YouTube videos. Yeah.
1: That, all, they, that, all that means is that they've I've rented always, a building. I've always gone, gone to ones in. that
0: have doctor in their name when I'm looking at yeah, up. Yeah, but what so. are they a
1: doctor of? Okay, chiropractors must earn <laughs> a doctor of chiropractic degree and get a state license. Yeah. Okay, so it, it does yeah, appear to be yeah. significantly more uh
0: I mean, legit you can practice chiropractic work without <laughs> a license. Well, look. I mean, a can. side hustle, like yeah. Instagram's always telling you to get, you know? Well,
1: that's what I'm saying. All you need is to rent a building, you know, put put a sign on the wall like you're good. Okay, it does appear that to be, you know, a little bit more legitimate than I thought it was. No, I've never been. What how okay. what does it do for you?
0: So, I mean it's I I've I've really enjoyed it because through like weightlifting and sports and everything, like I've just got a bad lower back. So, they'll identify kind of like the areas where my, like the lower part of my spine might be kind of like lean in one way or the other and they just kind of adjust it to kind of get it back into regular alignment and then you come back a couple of times you re-strengthen the muscle around it and it helps i it definitely feels better in the moment but then it's also really helped me and like felt better in the long run so i didn't mean for this to turn into like a uh (laughs) like a me free advertisement for chiropractic businesses but uh, a couple of my uncles are chiropractors and so like i kind of grew up around it so it doesn't freak me out as much but i know for some people it's really weird watching them kind of massage your neck and then boom it just they just like turn your oh, neck a not, certain way yeah. and it just
1: it's never weirded me out like i i crack my neck just you know sitting here like a like a... Sure. Individually, I don't need a professional to do it, but, but like, well, it's always just like, hey. Number one, I I've think, never had a.
0: I think a professional would tell you that maybe what you're doing is a little bit more just like immediate relief, not actually long term relief. So. I mean, all
1: I'm all I'm saying is that I can sit here and you know crack the neck, and it's good. Like I don't need I don't need the man wrenching on me. But my my number one, I've never had a particularly bad back, so I've never needed to investigate it. But number two. I've always apparently been under the misapprehension that it is of the quackery end of the spectrum and therefore have not investigated chiropractic, chiropractic, chiropractory, uh,
0: chiropractic work.
1: There you go. I've never investigated that any more than I needed to, which is not at all.
0: Well, be thankful that you don't have a shit lower back because I'm (laughs) 32 and I do. I
1: am. It's always, I'm always actually fascinated by how many people do appear to have a bad back. Like, other, people that can dramatically outlift or outmaneuver me in athletic feats will then be like, Ugh, "Can't move, back's wrecked." I'm like, "Why? Why? What? What's? I don't understand. <laughs>
0: My back's fine." I hate you for this. Anyway, can we talk about Mahomes trash talking.
1: Yes, Mahomes getting into it with Max Crosby was fun.
0: I felt like. The punch the, the late punch that Crosby put on him was all right, that was a little late. Like I, <laughs> I can understand you being a little peeved. Like I love Max Crosby. I know exactly what he was doing. He was trying to get in his head. And it kind of worked, actually. Unfortunately, it's just Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. And when then the back came against the wall, he went and scored a touchdown. But he is Patrick. I I loved <laughs> I love the fact that Mahomes version of trash talking is I get one sentence in my head and I will repeat it no matter what you are saying back to me. Right. I'm that dude. I'm that dude. I'm that dude. I'm still here. I'm right here. I'm right here. Just like it. <laughs> that was my homes.
1: I read a uh,
0: talk the entire time. And you know what? Whatever gets you fired up, man.
1: I read a review somewhere of, uh, uh, of the quarterback thing that said that actually the way the Mahomes communicates almost j- across the board, not just in trash talk, but he's basically Jimmy two times from Goodfellas. Like he
0: says everything twice. That's his entire life. That's that's just sports, though, right? I mean, like, you you know, like you're just I'm just like thinking about baseball, right? Like somebody's up to the plate, you know, they got two strikes on, be like, all right, gotta swing it now, gotta swing it right now, you know, and it's just like it's just very natural to repeat things twice but you know repeat things seven or eight times like Mahomes doing this a little bit it did
1: strike me at the time so it was interesting because yeah like Max Crosby was clearly trying to get in his head and as Mahomes said like a lot of guys actually try and do that but even without even without sort of trying it I would immediately default to the idea that Mahomes is in on the Michael Jordan spectrum of the last thing you want to do is piss that guy off like, if I, if without knowing anything about it from first-hand experience, I would assume that I do not want to play an angry Patrick Mahomes as opposed to yeah. the thing that I want is to piss that guy off and get him out of his zone. Like, I would immediately assume the last thing you want to do is make him angry, and that appeared to be exactly what happened. They pissed him off, and then he went, what, from 17 nothing down to 30-29 winning because you made him mad.
0: And I think... I think if you were to try to get into Mahomes' head, I would want to do it very, very late in the game. Because let's face it, If you try to get in his head, say, like, in the first or second quarter, again, say it's an example where you're up double digits on him, you're trying to mess with him, you're trying to get in his head, you already know he's motivated and he doesn't want to lose the game anyway. So if they're down on the scoreboard, you know he's already kind of focused. Then if you make it a little personal and you try to get in his head, if you leave way too much time on the clock, even if you get in his head and for a full quarter he just isn't himself, maybe you do rattle him a little bit, it's Patrick freaking Mahomes. He's going to bounce back at some point. So you've got to make it so your trash talk and getting him off of his game is like one or two drives maximum. Because if it's any more than that, he's only going to get more pissed off the more he fails, and eventually he's just going to go absolute God mode on you. So that would be my strategy for Mahomes. You can try to get in his head, but it's got to be like fourth quarter only has like two drives maximum left. Yeah, and you hope that that actually rattles. I
1: you. just generally think it's a bad strategy. I <laughs> just again don't and I'm, don't I upset. Agree with you. He's hard enough to beat when he's you know in a good mood. Don't make him angry. Now you're just working against a guy that's like made it his life's mission to destroy you. That's that's a bad thing to do. Um, in addition, so again, I, my maybe my biggest takeaway from this entire show is being captivated by the enigma that is Kirk Cousins because you've got this beige plaid nothing facade and yet in the even just the first two episodes the two most unlikely things to come out of these first two episodes were surrounding Kirk Cousins number one thing that I did not have on my bingo card for episode number one was Kirk Cousins breaking out a Margaret Thatcher quote did you get that it was great Kirk Cousins quotes Margaret Thatcher, if my critics saw me walking on water, they would say it's because I can't swim. What? That's an elite quote. No, it's a great quote, but in this world now, you always have to be cognizant of who it is you're quoting, right? Because the idea of, like, retweets are not endorsements, well, like, quotes become endorsements. If you quote somebody, you are automatically... Tacitly connected to everything that they are connected to. So Kirk Cousins quoting Margaret Thatcher, a union breaking, you know, conservative darling of 1980s Britain, is just such a bizarre connection of humans that that fascinated me. And then from episode two, Kirk Cousins in his life, having seen Kirk Cousins as, you know, what he is as an NFL quarterback right now. Kirk Cousins, having once been given an award by Mike Singletary for an outstanding performance as a linebacker, is not something that I would have said was in the realm of things possible in this world.
0: Incredible. Yeah, the Singletary, the Singletary connection was fantastic. The Singletary, the Singletary connection was great. As was like that whole. What did he call the room?
1: His memory like, room, or something.
0: Room. What did he call it? It was like a memory room, right? Yeah, memory room. I think that is what he called it. He called it like a memory room. But it had the door that was a shelving unit. Right. Like That was super cool. I love the fact that he's like, oh, we didn't want our trophies like out in front of everybody. And so... Don't you find that that kind of interesting
1: just in itself, not to cut you off, but don't you find that quite interesting and potentially revealing that, you know, he didn't use that word, but what he was essentially saying is these guys that have all of their accomplishments or memories on display in their house, it's a little bit too narcissistic, right? And he at least has the self-awareness to be like, I don't, I I want, I am narcissistic. Like, I want to have this room of everything I've accomplished. I just don't want to show other people. Like, I don't want to put it out there that I am this guy who revels in my accomplishments, right? Because, again, human nature, I think most people are quite narcissistic. But he has... The self-awareness to be like, I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't want to be that guy, at least not in front of other humans. So I'm going to keep it in this room that isn't just like hidden away in the basement, but is actively behind a Murphy door, like is actively a hidden room in the house.
0: I like it. And it's very Kirk Cousins, right? Like it's just, it's very him. He's not going to be flashy he's not going to be flamboyant about some of his accomplishments and it's a really cool way to i think now obviously everybody can do whatever they want with their accomplishments but i think that kind of concept is a really cool way to compartmentalize that part of your life in a great way Right, you spend so much time at the facility, you spend so much time in your playbook, you spend so much time watching film, anyways. That when you come home, the importance of having a space where it's like, This is time for my family, like I am away from the game of football. That to me is a really cool way to say, Yes, I'm a football player, I'm an accomplished football player, I still recognize those things, but. I don't want to have to think about that all the time, right? Because if that was just out, let's say that he is on a two game losing streak and they got a big divisional opponent coming up. Well, if he is walking from the dining room back to the kitchen to put his plate away after dinner and he passes his, you know, two jerseys and it just reminds him of of football once again, maybe he said that he was going to sit on the couch and watch a movie with his family that night, but now because he passed... You know, two of his jerseys, he can't get out of the mindset of, oh, I've got to watch and prepare for this game coming up because it's really big. Like, I think that is also a cool way to separate when you're at home. Your work life and your home life, because that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to do—football players or not. So I just really appreciated that. I thought it was really cool architectural design. Loved the room, loved the secret hidden door and all that. But um, I thought that was a really cool thing that that, that Cousins did for that reason.
1: No, it's cool, but it does make me wonder how much of this like deliberately bland exterior for Cousins is put on, and how much of it is that's who he actually is. Like that, the fact that he had that little internal debate of. I really want this. I'm also aware of how it looks to people. I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to hide it in the house. Now, kind of undermine that a little bit by then broadcasting it on a TV show. But still, like the fact that that little dialogue took place in his own brain makes me wonder how much of this plaid shirt, you know, wearing never says anything kind of exterior is is a deliberate like uh misdirection like he's actually a far more interesting character than that and deliberately chooses not to appear so outwardly. Maybe
0: hmm. I'm only two episodes in man.
1: Yeah, so that's the, the rest of the show. That's the interesting thing. Like we're not gonna we're gonna kind of wrap this up pretty soon, but I think the worst two episodes of this are the first two. And I actually think you get way more into it the further you get. And that's when you get into the really interesting stuff. So coming up for you is mm. not just the body work person that Cousins uses, but him strapping on some, like, brain device that looks like Professor X from the X-Men and, like, training his brain on a weekly basis, apparently, um, to do some pretty interesting stuff. So he was working through some thing that, like, deliberate, Like, it's almost like a... Uh, it's almost like a correction device where as soon as you start to lose focus, it it realizes that and, like, turns off the screen for you until you, like, cop on and refocus on it. I thought it was pretty interesting. But generally...
0: Damn, I would suck at that.
1: <laughs> you get a lot more of wow. this, like, what Cousins is doing to try and make sure that he's on the very cutting edge of, like, everything he can achieve. And then you get what I think is, like, the... The pièce de résistance of this entire thing is you get like a last dance version of Mahomes Jordan flu game, right? You get the ankle injury and everything that that is mm-hmm. throughout the playoffs, which is fascinating. Like if this if this documentary show, whatever you want to call it, if this is remembered for nothing else, it's provided like that extra sound visual documentation of what Mahomes went through during the playoffs with that ankle injury which is insane like i don't think any other quarterback in the nfl wins a super bowl from that ankle injury from
0: that moment he's injured i'm excited to watch it man i'm excited because they they tease that throughout the show like after the first episode they'll say like you know like coming up on right. the season or whatever and they get into the ankle and whatever and so I, uh, yeah, they, they, they lucked out again with how these three guys finished, because maybe, maybe I'll get done with the show and maybe I won't think that anymore. Maybe I'll kind of be more like you. And it's like, all right, well, the Mariota stuff didn't pan out the way that they wanted to, but the fact that they have one guy who ended up getting benched one guy who had an incredibly successful season that ended up crumbling in the playoffs, in which you could say, like, the playoffs are just this different beast, and then one guy who actually wins the whole thing, and you get to go through what it takes physically and mentally to actually win the whole thing, like, It almost feels too good to be true, in my opinion, that they got these three storylines for the first season. Because you know that everybody's going to watch this. You know that the ratings are going to be fantastic for it. And you know that there's going to be a second season and they're going to follow. Sure. Who who are they going to follow next? Hold on. Who are they going to follow next? Who do we think? Joe Burrow burrow's one of them
1: Burrow should burrow's be one of them. Burrow
0: is absolutely one of
1: them. if they could do it i don't know if this will happen because they the jets just got thrown on hard knocks but if they could follow rogers that would be a hell of a one um who would be your so okay if burrow's your sort of top tier guy like dak prescott would probably be a pretty good second tier guy or Derek carr dak
0: would oh yeah i think the Carr. And, and then oh i think Carr and prescott would be i got your mariota
1: lines. i got your mariota baker mayfield yeah baker baker is your third guy that's that's your trio what about russ uh i just find what if it was burrow russ and baker if russ is off camera the way he is on camera i feel like you are not you know if he's behind the scenes the way he is in front of people i feel like you would that's immediately fair. get like an episode into that show before you smashed your own yeah TV.
0: i i now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, and uh, we're just quick thinking about it, Burrow, Derek Carr, and Baker Mayfield for this upcoming season feels like they a three that would that would give you some yeah, really great content. They
1: tee up a they tee up the Joe Burrow Mahomes rivalry very well, and actually it right, makes you think. Right. It, it makes you think in this world of like you know individual plays, incredibly fine margins, or like the difference between one eighty degree narratives in the NFL. Can you imagine if if Joseph Asai doesn't shove Mahomes out of bounds late in that game and the Bengals win, and now Joe Burrow has beaten Patrick Mahomes four consecutive attempts, including two in the playoffs, and the Bengals win their Super Bowl, and now you're like, not only have you got this is sort of 50-50, this is even now in terms of like uh, AFC powerhouses going forward, But you've got, like, the the new dynasty team, Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the Chiefs can't beat the Bengals. Like, that would be the narrative going forward. Like, this team, the best team in the NFL, cannot beat Joe Burrow
0: that's why that and this goes back to not to totally like devolve this into into our quarterback discussion but when you and I were going over our quarterback rankings right and somebody asked the question hey is Mahomes in a tier of his own and we both said we both came to the conclusion Mahomes is clearly number one but that doesn't mean that he's in like God tier that can't be touched you, if Joseph Osai doesn't push Mahomes out, like you say, if that plays out, and that it, it's literally nothing that the quarterbacks did any differently than today, we would be talking about them in a different light. Well, we're trying to evaluate things individually, going back to the conversation we had yesterday. And that's why that tier one is those three guys, because at any point in time, any one of those three can beat the other. And Mahomes has done it more often. And I, like I said, would clearly have him number one. But I don't think we think about how much our opinions would change based on very slight different margins that maybe had nothing to do with the actual quarterback.
1: Right now, so, there's still a little bit of time left on the clock. Maybe Mahomes pulls a miracle even without that penalty. But the penalty, and maybe he
0: does. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if that, if if Osai doesn't push him right. out, and if it comes out to the Bengals end up winning that football game. Is the narrative completely different just because a guy didn't commit a penalty on the defense side of the ball? And it would be. didn't necessarily do anything different. Burrow necessarily didn't do anything different.
1: Yeah, and it but, would be right. Like yes. it would be, it would be a completely different world right now if Cincinnati wins that game. That's four in a row against Mahomes and the Chiefs, and in particular, if Cincinnati wins the Super Bowl against Philadelphia, and now you have like you know two Super Bowl winning Titanic powerhouses in the AFC, one of whom what looks like the better one on paper can't beat the other one based off the last four performances. Like you've got these three teams, Cincinnati, Buffalo, Kansas city, all like taking lumps out of each other. All can, but one of them can't beat the other one like four times in a row. It would be insane. And we're only like a couple of plays away essentially from that actually being the reality. That is always fascinated me the way narratives, reality, the the things we take for granted are built off this jenga stack of like individual one-off plays that could just as easily not have happened and gone the other way
0: Mm -hmm. i agree that's what makes it so those are getting back to it if they did a season two burrow Derek carr baker mayfield that'd be pretty yes that'd be a pretty good one
1: and i can't work out for the baker part what would make be more compelling like him being benched after three weeks, and you have to sort of live with like benched Baker Mayfield for the season, or whatever, like a full season of Baker and the roller coaster experience that that is.
0: Even if Baker gets benched early in the year, I think it would make for compelling television or documentary series watching because I think he would get the job back. Like, I don't think Kyle Trask is somebody who, if Kyle Trask isn't going to come out here and win that job at a training camp, then I don't expect for him to be somebody who week three on, they just go, yeah, we're sticking with Trask no matter what. Like, I think you'd probably go back to Baker in in week 13, you know? So it would almost, it would maybe be this story of like how you mentally go through getting benched and then having to be the starter. Right.
1: My, I'm, my final thought with this whole sort of show, by the way, and I'm, I'm Be curious to see if you think this as well after you get through the rest of the the episodes. But it started off with this idea of the three guys, you follow them through, and we just projected season two in the same way. To me, this show ends up working an awful lot better if you dump Mariota from the storyline entirely, you get rid of his part, and the thing becomes like a two-person contrast of Patrick Mahomes and Kirk Cousins. And I think that probably works with whatever two quarterbacks you would choose for season two, like the contrasting lives of these two guys, and it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, the chronological journey from season start to season end, but like we touch on a lot of the same things. We see how each guy works from an X's and O's point of view during this series. Mm -hmm. We see how each guy responds to... The grind, like the physical beatdown that they suffer, Mahomes obviously with the ankle injury, but a lot of the the middle episodes is just about the attritional ass kicking that Kirk Cousins gets week on week, and why he needs the the body mobility due to whoever it is. Like that sort of contrast is really interesting. How they each motivate or react with to their teammates, you know that the whole thing I think is fascinating with this a b analysis of two very good quarterbacks one of whom is clearly better than the other but how they those guys get done with the entire position and to me the sort of Mariota thing just ends up being a little bit of a distraction to that and if you were doing it next year like that would be how to do it in my opinion you get joe burrow and you get Derek carr whoever your other quarterback is and we just contrast what the world of being you know a, one of in in a in a franchise where those guys are your quarterbacks for the season that is how i think this show should work and how it was kind of best almost coming together this year
0: so as as i sit here right now two episodes in i still feel as though the three person element is the right one but maybe i will maybe i'll maybe i'll be in step with you when i get done with all eight episodes
1: all right. Well, we'll see. I'll, uh, I'll hit you up for that information after you've made it through all episodes. But that's the show today. Steve Palazzolo, the great Steve, will be back on Monday, I think still from Boston for some extended period of time. So there'll be a, a little game to see if you can identify all of the various items in his background, including I saw in the Mina Kimes podcast, the video feed of that. There was a uh, there was a sleeping bag in the background. There was a stack of books. There was all kinds of crap hanging in the background of this uh, bedroom that he appears to be forced to do shows from over the next couple of weeks. So that'll be uh, part of a little side game that we have on the PFF NFL podcast. But he'll be back Monday, and uh, I think Trevor will be back at some point next week as well. Thank you for listening to our show this week, and go watch quarterback. It's uh, an an entertaining little run.